Welcome to the Programming Leadership Podcast, where we help great coders become skilled leaders and build happy, high-performing software teams. All right, welcome to the Programming Leadership Podcast. I'm Marcus, and today I am so excited to have Amy Phillips and Aaron Randall with me today. And we are going to talk about the lessons we learned the hard way when we went from becoming a programmer to a manager. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's start with you, Amy. What did you do before you were a, a manager? Well, I started out many years ago as a tester. I spent many years testing a number of different companies, uh, progressed eventually to leading test teams and managing testers, and then um, moving more into agile sort of roles and team coaching. That sort of led me into a wider management role. So these days I'm an engineering manager, uh, managing developers, uh, helping teams deliver, meet their goals. Um, But yeah, it's sort of Along the way, move from testers to developers and ops engineers. And so people with lots of different skills and backgrounds um, and levels as well, which has been interesting. Oh, I can't wait to hear more about that. Aaron, tell us about yourself. Yeah, sure. So um, my sort of route into my role now, which is CTO at Songcake, was um, starting as a software developer. So I worked at a number of smaller companies and startups before Songcake. Uh, and then when I got to Songcake, and I've been there for about seven years now, as the company's grown, sort of grew with it, moving into a tech lead role, then entering management uh, roles and so on, like moving more and more shifting my focus to the people side of technology. Um, and so, yeah, I found myself around today, which is like really this intersection of the people in tech um, running the technology team. Wonderful. So it sounds like both of you started as individual contributors. I guess that's how most of us start, right? And and given that, you, uh, that we're going to talk about lessons we learned the hard way, I'll just open it up. Like, what is a lesson you learned, maybe the hard way, early on in your career? Hmm. That's a great question. So uh, it's been really interesting for us because we actually were individual contributors together. That's how we met on a team working together at Songkick. Um, so Aaron was a developer, I was a tester. Um, and then over the years, we've sort of watched each other grow and helped each other grow, hopefully, <laughs> into management. Um so I think we've got loads of lessons we've sort of both struggled with and seen each other sort of struggling with. Um, for me, I would say the hardest thing has been about building up the ability, I guess, and confidence to have the difficult conversations. I think that's something that's really uniquely management. Like you may do it with your peers. Um, maybe you do it with your own manager, but when you start managing other people, it just becomes so much more important. So I think that's probably been the thing which, um, for me, like starting out maybe in the early days, not doing enough role playing and practicing before going into the conversation, or sometimes maybe leaving it too late to have that conversation has probably been the biggest, uh, the biggest one I've been working on over the years. Yeah, hundred percent for me as well. I, actually, by the way, Amy's definitely seen me make way more mistakes than I've seen her. So <laughs> just to clarify. That's not true. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun working together. But yeah, the difficult conversations yeah. is like, it's hundred percent the one that like really jumps out to me. Like I, my tendency very early on in my sort of tech leading career, I guess, was to just to avoid them entirely because it was so much easier to to avoid them, 
um, not have a difficult conversation and hope that people sort of still like you and they don't, they don't want to hear the feedback, the constructive feedback you need to give them. Um, and I think, yeah, me and Amy actually were talking before this podcast uh, call and I think it's really clear I have so many examples um, you know, from the last few years of where I've delayed those conversations or not had them and it's always been worse for me and the person involved as well. I mean, we just, if I just bit the bullet and, and had that constructive feedback conversation, everyone would have been better off. And like time and time again, it's, we've, we've proven that by doing it eventually. So uh, yeah, fun. Let me pause and thank today's sponsor, Get Prime. Get Prime's platform allows you unprecedented visibility into your development team. For too many years, I've had to guess at the status of projects without any real data to make decisions from. Oh, I have tried everything. Story points, velocity, burn down charts, burn up charts, you name it, I've tried it. Worse yet, I've made the mistake of promising my boss when something would be done only to be disappointed. When I dug into things with my team, I was always surprised between what the charts show and what's actually happening. Now, it's not like anyone's messing up, but things are happening that I have no visibility of, which meant I couldn't even discuss it with my team. Git Prime changed all that. With Git Prime, you can leverage Git level analytics. That's where the real work is happening. It provides deep insights to help you have better conversations with your engineers and your whole team. See things better, build things faster. Learn more and sign up for a demo at gitprime.com. I, I see this a lot too late. We leave these conversations for too long and then they don't go as well as we'd hope. They maybe don't even produce the, the results we're hoping. And so tell, tell us a story of, well, I, we always loved to, everybody loves a train wreck. Tell us a story of when things didn't go well. I, I think, um, I think it's, it's, it's easy to talk about from the perspective of, of Songkick and other startups that I've been in like, these worlds they they change so often like the nature is they change so frequently they have to to like try and stay alive and work out what the business is becoming that it means that the technology you're working with changes the the projects you're working on changes so often and you find people that have joined your company expecting one thing like say like focusing on mobile development and you look up in a couple of months after they started and the mobile work's not there anymore because we've pivoted and shifted to focus on something else and Again, like my tendency back in the day was to try and please that person in any other way possible and find other sort of extracurricular ways of keeping them engaged at the company. And, and really, like, if I, and it, it prolongs the pain where that person's unhappy because we're not offering what they need to be fulfilled at work. And I'm just trying to keep the person happy. And actually, if we just sat down earlier and had the conversation and said, look, this, the landscape has changed, and to be really honest about it, is there stuff we can do to change things here for you? or or is this kind of it, I guess, and um, would have just saved a lot of pain. So uh, yeah, I've, I've had a, quite a few of those over the years, I think. Yeah, I had a quite a successful version of that uh, a few years ago, actually, which was interesting because it would very much have been the same sort of setup. It was very similar. Technology was changing. Somebody had been left behind, wasn't necessarily incredibly excited by what the future was looking like. Um, but actually, like, I was just, I'm now at the stage where I've been through it so many times. I was like, we're having this conversation. This person definitely didn't want the conversation. I was like, we're having the conversation. And actually it was amazing how just being so honest quite early on and saying like, you know, this doesn't have to be the right job for you, right? It's fine not to to work here forever and how we help you like develop in your career or find somewhere else that you're excited by. And actually that person, for them, it was so kind of honest and, like in their face it was a clearly sh like a shock for them but um 
they didn't want to leave. And so we end up having a really great conversation about how they could learn the skills they needed. And they developed their skills and got training and they still, they're still working there. They're still very happy. So, you know, having, I think sometimes having particularly the conversations about the, do you need to leave? Do you want to leave? Can feel like you shouldn't have those conversations because you want to keep your team together. You don't want anyone to leave. That's a, a major problem. But sometimes you have to just be really upfront, I think, and ask people, are you leaving? Do you need to leave? Um, and see where it leads you. Hmm. Do you think the first time you have those kind of conversations is generally the hardest? Like, do they get easier? <laughs> I, I, so I really feel like I want to say yes <laughs> to give everyone reassurance. I think you get better at them, but I think they're always hard um, because I think what you, you can't control is how the other person's going to react. And so that's what makes it hard. It's the, you can do all your preparation. Definitely they get easier in terms of knowing what to say and how to say it and how to make the conversation useful, but they don't necessarily, you know, always get easier because you, you just can't, you know, sometimes people have very emotional reactions. I guess that's the other problem is what makes these conversations so difficult is they're emotional and people get upset or angry or, you know, lots of different things. And so, being able to handle that can still be hard. Yeah, I agree. I think I was just going to say firing a robot's pretty easy. There's a whole I was going to say I think I think the bit that does get easier. And I completely agree with Amy. It's like it's always emotional and it's and it's often difficult. But I think the bit that gets easier is that you are getting to the answer, the solution, the thing that's best for that person quicker. Which like I I definitely over the years learned is like is a good upside. I think to just going for it and having that conversation. So I think uh, the other thing which. Um, often if people are in kind of like stuck position um, and you're sort of as a manager struggling and feeling like, oh, I need to help them be unstuck. It's fairly rare that the other person, the person it's affecting hasn't also felt that way. So I think sometimes, although it feels like, oh, I have to have this broach, this horrible, difficult subject. Sometimes it can be a relief for everybody because like, oh, finally, we're talking about this thing that's been sitting there for so many weeks. The elephant in the room. I guess we sometimes That's right. need yes. that phrase. I also really like the idea you brought up. Um, it's of just being treating people like adults. Um, I don't need to be desperate in a you know any sort of really needy way that we can't even talk about you leaving because that would end my world. Uh, that's not true. I'm going to go on. You're going to go on. We're all grownups. And the reality is, is that I get the sense that you come at it from a, I don't want to trick you into staying. I want you to be here, but this is the current situation. And Amy, you had, you're right. It was a really nice way of ending it that they said, oh, I think I'd like to stay and do this other thing. That choice driven from their own insides to motivate them feels very different than having a manager who says, just wait, we'll get more work that you love. Just hang on. I know it's no fun right now, but I promise it'll be different in the future. Yeah, that's right. I think I think I always sort of approach these things with a sort of a, you know, I'm I'm here to help people with their careers. And that means sometimes, you know, they're not the right person for the company or the company's not the right company for the person um, or something needs to change. But that doesn't mean that as their manager, they can't talk to me. I would actually much rather they came to me and said, I hate my job. I hate everything to do with my job. Help. You know, that would be ideal because then you could have that conversation. But I think often it feels like, you can't tell your manager that, um, you know, it's not an acceptable thing to admit that you're like struggling or unhappy or something like that, but that just makes it so much harder to help people. 
Have you found ways to make it safe for people to talk to you about the things that we're not supposed to say? Like, I'm not really enjoying this. Well, I think for me, I've always, um, I sort of do it in my, uh, quite early on in managing people, try and just be quite upfront with them. And actually, you know, I, my, um, I'm there to help help them. I'm there. I my view my job more as helping them with their careers, which means helping them develop skills or finding the right work. And it doesn't have to be in this company. You know, it's fine if you realize those opportunities don't lie here. We can help you. So just I think I was trying get it in there quite early on, particularly if they're really happy and upbeat, which is a great time to get that foundation laid when they're like, of course I'm not leaving. Why would I leave? I love it here. And you're like, great. Um, but then you've sort of set that expectation up that those are the sorts of conversations you can have. Yeah, I think there's a lot as well. Um, you were talking in the blog post about like demonstrating the right behaviours. I think like a lot of this, if you're, if you're hoping that they can be open and honest and vulnerable with you is, is to, to do that back as well. I think that's a really hard thing. I learned this really slowly um, in my transition to a manager is like the, the fact that you can be vulnerable as a, as a manager as well and like not always know the answers. When people are stuck and unhappy in their careers, sometimes we don't know exactly what the steps are that are going to make them happy again. But you can say, acknowledge there's something wrong, say like, I'm stuck, let's work together and work this out, you know, and I'm going to do everything I can to help you and, and be vulnerable yourself. And I've definitely seen seen that work like really nicely for us and I think it's particularly difficult when you start off as a manager because you want to you want to know all the answers you want to look really confident and prove your worth as a, as a new manager Be like oh I deserve this I can do this and it's like when you step up into a tech lead for the first time you, you feel like you should know all the tech answers and be the best developer in the team and and you like that just isn't the case and it's okay to be human so uh, yeah being vulnerable is pretty a pretty handy tool that I now as a more seasoned manager lean on Often, probably too much. <laughs> okay, well, I had a question, but now I want to come back to what you just said. <laughs> How can one be too much, too vulnerable, Aaron? Because I, th I yeah. definitely agree with everything you said, but what's it mean to oh, be? Oh, I don't know. I think I think mostly I'm playing. I think like I think there is there is a balance to strike. You know, like if, even now, if I say I don't know the answer all the time to my engineering management group, then I think at some point they're going to begin to question <laughs> whether I'm the right person for the job. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think you, I think being vulnerable plenty is fine, but yeah. I, I've definitely had that fear. Um, and I've had that same thing where at first I never wanted to admit I didn't know. In fact, I used to have a little sign in my office that said answers in 10 seconds or they're free. And I, I would make up an answer um, just so that I had one. Like, well, at least now you have an answer because clearly answers are my job and questions are your job, Mr. Programmer. Uh, and that really didn't turn out for me very well because then everyone stood outside my door and got bad decisions made all day long rather than empowering the team in any way. Uh, I don't actually know, Aaron. I'm just going to push back for a minute on you. I don't know whether if you became a don't knower type of manager. And I heard that phrase, by the way, from the Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson. She talks about these people who, uh, these managers and leaders who just always say, I don't know, how do we find out? And the person frames it as become a don't knower. <laughs> I don't know whether that would erode trust in your team or because mm. I think that's what you're kind of saying, right? Like maybe they, maybe they would think, why am I here? Um, <laughs> the book, seems to say that maybe it would actually build confidence that it was their job to know and that managing and leading was not all about knowing. Yeah, for sure. And I think that 
I mean, that, you know, we're veering very much into the whole like coaching aspect of, of leading. And I think that's probably more of, I hope, what I try and do these days, which is, you know, that, that um, it's not actually that I don't know the answer necessarily. It's just that I've got a group of, particularly the engineering management group that I work with, they're actually much smarter and more capable and talented than me. And I, can, I know I can coach the best answer out of them. So, yeah, my version of don't know is probably just lots of questions and coaching to, to help them build their confidence and, and help lead this team. And I think it's down to tone as well as the questions, right? Because I think the, the don't know <laughs> manager is panicking. I don't, know, I don't know. That's not going to give you any confidence at all. Um, whereas the, or like the, I don't know, but let's work it out together. Or I don't know, why don't you go away and, you know, you, you're qualified to do this is probably the confidence building, empowering thing rather than the, the let's all panic. We have no idea where we're going type of manager. Yeah, I think you're right. In fact, another another form of I don't know came to mind, and that's the <laughs> I don't know and I don't care. Yes. And that that is not probably the right way to approach it. But but saying I don't know, you're qualified. I don't know. Let's find out. But saying I don't know, I don't care. That that's probably not the right approach. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So we've talked about uh, hard conversations, leaving them too long, uh, maybe even a little bit practicing. I think Amy said like a little practice kind of helps. What's another lesson that um, y'all had to learn the hard way as you went through this transition to be the amazing leaders you are today? Well, I think for me, it's around the demonstrating rewarding right behaviors. So I think we, we sort of touched on this a little bit, but um, it's, it's really difficult, like especially so I my the first time I moved into management, I had been working on the team and I got promoted to manage the team. So one day I was, you know, the peers uh, with these people. We could all go for lunch, you know, we could chat and gossip. And then suddenly the next day I was like, oh, actually, that's not really appropriate anymore. You don't really want your manager gossiping away over lunch. So suddenly I was like, oh, the, the sort of behavioral side of management is like, it's a whole other thing no one ever mentions really um and then over the years sort of realizing that it's so tempting to you know promote the person that writes the most code or um you know solve this great problem and actually did do some really great stuff but oh but they're behaving in really bad ways in lots of situations so what message are you sending i think unfortunately it's one of those ones that you tend to discover more through getting it wrong so like not particularly like early on, I've definitely got much like more aware as I've progressed through my management that things that seem very small initially, if you don't like nip them in the bud quickly, they just, that's it. You've lost, you've lost all hope. So like, you know, the person that's always five minutes late to stand up. And I know that person. Yeah. (laughs) I think there might be more than one of them. Like promoting that person, like, of course, they could be promoted, you know, they could be doing brilliant, brilliant work. But the message you send is it's fine. And so and that's OK, as long as you're not suddenly surprised later when everybody else is a bit late to stand up. You sort of you've created a you've normalized that behavior and you've said it's absolutely fine. So I think it's it's being aware of what message you're sending. Yeah, it also dawns on me that the person who's always late to stand up by five minutes. Um, At one point, there was the first time they were late to stand up. It's just looking backwards that it seems like it's always. But the reality was, is there was a first time. And what did we do or say when we saw that? 
Um, I think that's can be a pretty hard conversation going back to like nip it in the bud. But I think your bigger point, Amy, is that people, uh, what is the phrase I heard? Um, it's not what you teach. It's what you tolerate. That's right. That people really notice. So I think that's a really profound idea. Um, and of course, uh, you also touched on the idea that when you're promoted up from the group, like I was even, I had that same thing. Uh, it, it's a little lonely. I feel like I kind of lost my team, my friends. Uh, so that was a hard transition for me. Yeah, I think that's really right. Like you sort of, you take for granted when you're on a team that, you know, you have lots and lots of peers. And of course, the higher up you go, actually, the fewer people there are that are peers, um, the busier everybody is and the more sort of distant you are from them day to day. So yeah, that is actually the other really real sort of big one. And actually, interesting, that's how Aaron and I have ended up um, writing this blog post and you know working on this stuff Worst. together is because we no longer work together. <laughs> and that's a real shame. So we've created a whole side project just so that we have great excuses for going out and working together on things. <laughs> Uh, maybe this speaks to a larger theme, and I'm. Uh, I think Laura Hogan has uh, an idea of like we should be creating uh, peers of managers yeah. who to yeah. support us. I think she calls it your Voltron or something. Yes, I don't know if you've heard right. that. Term. Yes. Um, is, would you guys say that you're you're kind of okay? I'm going to butcher this, but like you're one another's Voltron somehow, where you're in each other's groups in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So actually, one of the things that. Um, so obviously, Amy and I have worked together for a long time, and then remained friends and saw well, see each other like every week. But then um, one of the things we we did was um, start a tech leadership breakfast, which is basically just a small group of uh, seven of us. So it's like CTOs and engineering managers from across London that we meet about like once a month ish to have breakfast and basically have like a lean coffee and catch up. And I think you know, Amy's talking about that um, loneliness that increases as you sort of progress in your career. And I think forcing yourself to find those peers outside of your company and that you can share ideas with and bounce ideas off of is like, well, it's been so important for me. I know like I would, I would put my hair out if I didn't have that group and Amy. Yeah, talk definitely. Like having, I think like there are things that as you get more senior, you maybe don't want to be sharing every day at work, you know, like I'm still stuck on this thing. And everyone's like, really still? Whereas we've got like friends and other people with different perspectives. Yeah, it's yeah, so valuable to have, people like that you can talk to and ask for help and even just ask for support because it's it's a tough job and it can be lonely so you know just being able to let's get coffee and just you know chat and chill out is is really really valuable yeah, and someone's always solved the problem as well like you're, you're never really approaching a brand new problem like in some form someone else has experience they've gone through this and they've learned the hard way for you so uh, yeah the breakfast is pretty handy for that as well well i want to i want to turn the topics and be selfish and ask you about one of the things I really struggled with when I went from being a programmer to a manager, and that was balancing two very different kinds of work. It seemed to me that engineering uh, and uh, leading were totally different. And not only did I struggle with doing either of them well at first, but knowing how the balance should be um, probably was just me, I'll admit. Was that a struggle for either of you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. And it definitely isn't just you. Like, I think if you've been to or seen any of the talks from uh, the lead developer conferences or meetups things it's a very common topic is wow how do you particularly I think if you're in one of the roles where you're doing sort of some meeting based work and some producing based work and trying to balance those two is very hard um so yeah it's, it's incredibly hard 
yeah, and we talk about it actually in our blog post about this like adder versus multiplier style shift. You, you know, it's really jarring when you go, particularly as I did as a developer, and like your your sort of, uh, I guess you, you get a sense of purpose and worth from the lines of code that you ship and the bugs and the features and so on that you, you know, bugs you fix and the features you ship, um, and that's like this real direct adder effect. And then you shift to this your tech leading and your engineering management where it's more admin and your impacts measured through the team that you lead and this kind of multiplier effect and and it's it's much less tangible to start with and you, you don't have the same ways of measuring progress and and the things that you're doing and it's kind of through others and empowering enabling others and yeah at first you think oh i'm doing nothing like i'm suddenly useless to this company and uh, you're not but you just have to find a new way to to sort of track what you're doing and how it's helping like push the business forward yeah and I think related to that actually for me is sometimes you do end up like working with an amazing team and you, you feel really invisible because they're amazing and you're like oh actually am I doing anything I don't think I'm doing anything and then you're like no no you sort of are but you it, you have to find new ways to actually because you're not visibly doing anything you're probably not the person in the meetings saying the brilliant things you're not the person producing the code or you know talking to customers but you are sort of behind the scenes supporting everyone and helping them so yeah you do need to find a new way to shout about that stuff and almost like claiming some responsibility because I think otherwise you can be a bit overlooked and people are like so you know what what do you do I definitely have that now by the way like I frequently feel like oh I'm, I'm not required anymore like this engineering management team that I've got as, as I said so much better than me like they don't actually need, <laughs> need me anymore and you have to right. you do have, I know I know I, like I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not true but you do feel like I think you can, it's easy to feel like an imposter um yeah I need Amy telling me that it's all okay but um, yeah it's like it's a really natural feeling definitely just in case people are laughing <laughs> yeah you know I've wondered uh um, I've wondered I wonder what would happen if we asked our teams uh, what's the most valuable thing I did this week? If they would tell us something it might be really minor, it might be even something we were completely unaware of uh, that might help us see our own performance and our own value differently. Yeah, I think that's really, really great. Yeah, like um, one of my uh, previous jobs, we had, it was like really, really normalized that every time anybody did their own sort of like performance reviews or self-assessments, there was bits in there about your manager. You know, how's your relationship with your manager? What, what's what been good? What what do you need more of? So they became much more comfortable. Like it wasn't frequent enough, but at least it set a good baseline for, hey, you are meant to have opinions on this stuff. You know, it's not just you have to tolerate and respect this person. You know, it's also you need to work well with them and build a relationship. And so, yeah, have an opinion on was it good? Was it bad? Could it be better? Um, but yeah, I think it is. the it, It's probably all the little things, right? And actually, it's just doing enough little things that everything becomes like the big thing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I also think sometimes I bet both of you have certain unique to your position and your knowledge, abilities, authority, ability to move resources. You can do things your team can't. And maybe your team needs you to do some of those things uh, on their behalf to, uh, to create the environment where they can, they could be most productive. Yeah, I think that is definitely true. That's one of the probably the most sort of visible and like the, the sort of big impact things you can do is, uh, and sometimes people don't maybe present it as a, like sometimes they do, but it's not that often where they go, please, would you get me the money to have this 
tool and you can go, great, I have a really clear goal. You know, often it will be more that they come and they say, this thing is really hard. And then you have to find ways to make it less hard and they may not be obvious. So, you know, I'm finding the new team set up hard or I'm finding the way that this new person who's joined the team works is hard and they can be much more subtle, I think. But yeah, I think you're right. If As a manager, you are quite uniquely positioned to not necessarily even like solve it maybe, but create the environment where it can be solved. So, you know, you have the authority to pull these people together and be like, today we're going to talk about the fact that this is a problem. And everyone's like, oh, we have to acknowledge that this is a problem. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of, I think, the manager thing in my view. Yeah, definitely. I think there's another bit as well. On the other side is like, I, which I haven't done one in the past, but I'm trying to do more of now is actually making that stuff visible to the team. I think it's like quite easy for our work to be invisible. And you, you know, we're talking about um, like spending money in tech vendor budgets and that kind of stuff. The kind of things that we're doing as leaders, but the team doesn't necessarily know about. And like, I, I think if you know, maybe six months ago, if you asked people in my team, like, what does Aaron do? That you know, people that I don't work with directly, they'd be like, hmm, maybe not sure. So like, I think um, I've learned relatively recently that I need to force myself to do the dev talks, the internal dev talks with the team, and show them the things I'm working on, even if it is stuff like how the budget works and how tech vendor budgeting works, that kind of stuff. Um, which I've done and actually the team's really interested in because they get additional context but like you have to force yourself to to show stuff that you think maybe it's not relevant or interesting and like show them that you're a person doing actual work and and yeah make it a bit more visible to the group it's interesting I, I get I'm imagining times when I withheld that kind of information because I think I wrongly believed well it's not programming so they won't they won't care. It's not like a new language or a new framework. So when you talk about budgeting, I think it's easy to say, well, why should the engineers be interested in that? But you have found that not to be true. Yeah, definitely. I, I was quite scared, actually. So I just, I just forced myself, again, feeling like I wasn't making my work visible enough to, to the, the wider tech team. I forced myself to do this dev talk. And it was um, essentially talking through a spreadsheet and you know, talking through our P&L, like how we're spending money, what the tech side of that looks like. And I thought this is going to be a car crash. No one's going. No one's actually going to enjoy it. But at least I would have done it. You know, just do it, Aaron. Give it. Give it a bash. And actually, um, I remember like I got loads of amazing questions at the end of the talk, and a bunch of people came up to me separately and were like, "Oh, that's really interesting. Like, really great to get that. To, like, to see what's going on." So um, yeah, I think like yeah, don't don't underestimate how much people care about the other stuff that keeps the business moving as well. Yeah, and I think I suppose that's also sort of related to the fact that there will hopefully always be some people who maybe want to move to management or, you know, might if they knew a little bit more about it. So actually being able to share, like, you know, obviously some days it's like, I'm having one-to-one -one meetings with people all day. There's not much more you can say, but sometimes it isn't that. Sometimes it's like, wow, we've got some strategy things or budgeting or, you know, recruitment or something bigger that's maybe still invisible to them, but it helps them. If they know what what's involved with this job, then maybe they're more interested. So. It's a good thing. Yeah, I like that. I want to go back to something Aaron said, one of these mathematical metaphors, the adder and the multiplier. Because I'll be honest, I think in my early days of being a, a manager, I may have been a divider. Maybe I made things worse. Have you ever seen this happen? Or again, maybe this is just the unique experience. If you've worked for me and you imagine this uh, has happened, feel free to drop me a line and tell me about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just I'm just curious. Uh, do you see that some things managers can do can actually uh, 
decrease productivity can instead of adding or multiplying can actually divide? Yeah, definitely. Like absolutely. Everything can, right? And I think divide can come in many forms. So um I think I've seen it a lot over over the years of managing different types of teams that you need to be very careful with people who have different like levels of experience or different like skill sets that you don't like it can be you can sort of assume you're doing everybody a favor by going oh don't worry you don't all need to be in this meeting we'll only take these people and actually you've sort of assumed that they don't want to be involved and actually sometimes you've just excluded them Uh, even if all your intentions are fantastic you still just excluded somebody from a meeting so yeah I've definitely become much more aware of like uh, inclusive language for example Um, you know like even things like guys is my my always my bugbear like I know that in a lot of contexts it means like you know it's a very kind of American style hey everyone but it's also not to a lot of people um, so there are sort of the language, but also, yeah, making it so that almost everything is optional, right? It doesn't matter. Oh, you're the, you're the person that just joined the team a week ago. Of course, you can come to this strategy meeting and have an opinion, right? Whereas there's, you're not excluding people based on what you assume that they would want you to sort of not bother them by. Yeah, definitely. I think like the other thing, the, the clear example to me is kind of going back to the difficult conversations and avoiding them. I think like where I've been the biggest sort of divider or subtractor for the team is where like I've not essentially not done my job, like not had those difficult conversations with people in the team that are actually they're becoming toxic and they're they're like ruining it for everyone else. And that's like slowing the whole product team down and you have a person that's like, yeah, doing more damage than good. And it's because I, I'm not doing what I should be doing and, and actually like uh yeah going for that different conversation. So I've definitely seen that again quite a few times, unfortunately. Yeah, as have I. Okay, we've got time for one more lesson learned the hard way. What would you like to what would you like to talk about? How about the prioritization? Because I think this is the one which as you move, particularly as you're moving from like the individual contributor like into management is it's such a mindset change and it can like people unfortunately don't tell you about it when you do the step, which makes it so much harder. But basically the the stuff you were being rewarded for that probably led to your promotion isn't going to be the stuff you'll be rewarded for in the future. And that can be so hard to get your head around. And actually I've seen it quite a lot of people at, at lower levels in their career. So like making a switch from being like a you know a mid-level developer to a senior is a similar thing where actually suddenly you're not always just being measured on how much code you're releasing you're you're expected to do all these other stuff um so i think that's probably the one where it can be just so easy so maybe you don't realize or maybe you just stay in the kind of comfort zone of doing the little things you always did and just ignoring all this other new hazy unclear stuff that's suddenly sort of in your world that you may be not so confident about yeah, I think the other part as well is like that whole like letting go of the stuff that you that you used to do and used to be um, judged on, got your sense of purpose and value from, is the letting go of it, but actually enabling your team to do it. So like delegating basically, and actually being able to do that properly. And and one thing to, again, I think it was most clear in my transition to tech lead was like I would delegate like basically a checklist of of work to do. It wasn't delegating the actual problem that I wanted someone to solve. 
And like, because I was like, oh, well, I know how, how to do this best. So you should just do it the way I would have done it. But I don't have time to actually write the code anymore. So here's, here's the high level steps. And that stuff is like, it's really difficult to, to like unlearn. Sorry, yeah, unlearn like the, the details and be like, okay, I trust this. I trust this team to take the problem and actually solve it. And because I have to do other stuff that won't happen otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I think the feedback loops are so different. I'm imagining when I was a developer, like it was hitting a button and seeing that it compiled. That was the feedback. Like, oh, look, it compiled and hello world came on and it was, you know, half a second delay or something. And then as I developed more, maybe the compilation loop got a little longer. Um, but then when I became a manager, it seemed like all the feedback loops took weeks or months or maybe they just went into a black hole. Um, so therefore, it was a totally different kind of satisfaction where at the beginning there was no satisfaction because it seemed like is, is any of this even matter? How can we find out if we're doing a good job? Like what's our, our red, green, you know, that's one of the TDD things, right? Is first you go red, then green. Like how do we know if we're doing it well? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. I think for me, I always kind of, I always remind myself that people don't have to talk to their manager. Like as much as we like to think that we are you know, quite in control. Actually, if you've ever had someone who won't talk to you, <laughs> you turn out there's not very much you can do. There's actually, there's actually more or less nothing you can do, right? You can go and complain to other people, but they can't like force them into the meeting room with you. So for me, I kind of measure it on uh, how willing is somebody to speak to me? And then how comfortable are they doing the sort of the difficult conversations from their side? Like how open are they and how honest do they seem to be? And then once you get to the point where they come to you with, other troubles like then you know like for me that's my green it's like oh they trust me enough they they trust me to like seek advice or bounce ideas off about this thing when they're not quite sure to go so i think for me my my green 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 is when years and years after you've managed them you get that message and they go like help i really need some help here and you're like okay great i i was doing a great job 10 years ago when this person was managed by me <laughs> so it is quite a long feedback loop <laughs> but those are my kind of measures yeah 100 agree i think like yeah the the communication people are actually talking to you and i think like one thing i've seen and, and it doesn't have to be the case but it's like people talk to you about other stuff as well like they i know i know patty mccord's against this whole like you know your workplace is a family thing but i think there are aspects of that where like people um, like chat to you about the things that are happening in their personal life if they want to and, and like they begin to open up and you have like a proper relationship where they're comfortable being again vulnerable with you and 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 so on I think that I definitely feel like I've built up a lot of those relationships like where I work now and and people that are comfortable enough talking about that stuff but also giving me feedback and telling me when I'm doing stuff that could be better and and it's like a yeah it's a proper working relationship that's healthy as opposed to as Amy said people people don't want to have a one-on-one -on -one with you <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, particularly if you ever managed anybody remote, that's, that's a whole other thing, because actually, if they just decline <laughs> your meeting invite, you're like, oh, uh, oh, okay, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> so actually, those are the ones where you really suddenly realize, actually, you know, it, it is a real relationship, right? And they, it, they, they are trusting you when they turn up. And so actually, you know, you need to, you need to show them that you're worthy of that trust. I think that's a wonderful place to leave this. Amy and Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today and talking with me about the lessons that you learned the hard way. I certainly have learned a lot of those and probably more. Um, where can people find you online and maybe interact with you? So we are, um, a great place to start would be on our uh, blog, which is humansplus.com 
tech. And on there, you'll have links to us uh, where you can find us on Twitter um, and other places as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for both of you for being on the show today. Thank you for listening to Programming Leadership. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.programmingleadership.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.